Here we are, the final chapter of this sample of Eversong from A.C. Salter. Thanks again to Adrian for allowing me to uh, share this with you guys. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. If you did, please do me a favor and let Adrian know that you enjoyed it. And all the contact information for him is in the show notes. You can just tap on the uh, the episode art and get in touch with him. Let him know that you enjoyed it and uh, that you heard about him on Another World Audiobooks. Like I said, things really start getting crazy right now, so let's jump right into it. Without further ado, I give you Eversong. Chapter 2. Lies and Half-Truths It was early, and the sun had yet to make an appearance above the mist that hovered over the canal. The molly cut through the vapor as she meandered along at a leisurely speed, Nat's steady hand on the tiller and his gaze fixed ahead. Elora stood beside him, leaning against the bow, taking in the scenery and finding it hard not to smile. She had been waiting for this journey to start for a long time, and now that it had finally begun, she felt a thrill of exhilaration pulse through her. Nat, however, obviously didn't share her excitement. When she looked to her uncle, his face wore an expression of sorrow. She didn't understand. He had wanted this journey as much as she had. It must be another of his odd moods. They seemed to be getting more frequent the older he got. By mid-morning, Nat was positively doleful, barely uttering more than a grunt when asked a question and avoiding eye contact altogether. He was going to ruin the trip on the first day if she couldn't pull him out of it. "'What's up?' she asked. Nat was silent. Thinking he might not have heard her, Elora was about to repeat the question when he cleared his throat. I've got things I need to tell you, but I don't know how to go about it, he muttered, his voice barely audible above the barge's diesel engine. If you've got to tell me, then it's probably best you just say what you're going to say. No point sinking any further into your mood. It can't be that bad. But secretly, Elora couldn't help but feel anxious. He had never held back from telling her anything before. Then... A horrible thought struck her. It's not cancer? No, I wish it were that simple. He gazed at her with his watery blue eyes. Then what? She asked, feeling relief and dread at the same time. I need you to be patient, Elora. I've got so much to tell you. So much that needs to be said. So much for you to understand. You can tell me anything. Nothing that you say will ever change how I feel about you. She said, and felt his hand grasp hers tenderly. You've a good heart, Elora, a kind, sweet heart, and it took me a long while to realize it. You weren't the easiest child. I was a total jerk. It's okay, you can say it. I was. She'd had a hard time fitting in at school. She found it hard making friends and too easy making enemies. With her freaky eyes and hair, she was an obvious target for bullies, but the trouble was, she never backed down from a fight. Her temper always got the better of her. Most weeks she was in detention, and she was sent home regularly for fighting. In the words of her headmaster, she seemed to bring out the worst in people. One day, after school, she found herself cornered behind the bike shed. It was two girls she had fought with and hurt on previous occasions, only this time they'd brought their elder sisters along for reinforcements. It was four against one, and they should have been able to give her a good hiding, but as always, her temper rose to the occasion. She put three of the girls in the hospital, one of them in intensive care. The fourth girl ran off and came back with the school caretaker. He tried to restrain her until help arrived, but by then he was on the floor, unconscious and with a broken nose. Elora felt tremendous guilt afterwards and vowed to control her anger. She managed to scrape through sixth form without further trouble, largely due to people, including the teachers, either giving her a wide berth or avoiding her altogether. Nat chuckled. Yeah. Great. 
a total jerk. Then his face stiffened again, and for a time I tolerated it, told myself it was simply the tearaway actions of a girl who lost her mother, who needed bringing up properly, but at the back of my mind I had a choice to make. What if there really wasn't any good in you? What if you grew to be an evil teen, or into an evil adult? Thankfully, you grew out of it, and you became the daughter I'd always longed for. And if I hadn't? She asked, raising a mocking eyebrow. I'd have killed you, he said, deadpan. To protect the world from you, because of who you are, because of what you are. Elora let her hand drop. She was struggling to understand what her uncle was saying. For a moment, she searched for the slow smile that would show he was joking, yet Nat wasn't good at jokes. His face didn't crack. And what am I? Nat pushed his aged fingers through his hair and let out a heavy sigh. Powerful. More powerful than you have any right to be. I'm just a girl. How can I be powerful? Because of who your father is. The words hit her like a punch in the gut. She had never known her father, and her uncle had always told her that he didn't know who he was either. That her mother had kept a secret with her to the day she died. So you do know... You lied to me. You told me you didn't, that nobody knew. She felt an ache in her heart from the betrayal. I'm sorry, Elora. I never meant to hurt you. But you needed to be protected from knowing who he was. What he was. And who the hell was he? She demanded, hearing the anger in her voice and not caring. Later. I'll tell you later. The trouble is, there's so much I need to explain. So many lies and half-truths I need unpicking. I don't know where to begin. He stared ahead again, his lips forming a tight line. Damn it, Nat! She said, slamming her fist against the cabin roof. Tell me who he is. You've no right to keep it from me. She always wore her anger on her sleeve. It was always there, like a tight spring waiting to be released. Well, it had sprung. Nat put a hand softly on her shoulder, but she pulled away, letting it fall. How could you keep this from me? She growled the noise scaring a pair of wood pigeons that had been nestling in the tree above the barge. How many other lies have you told? She read pain across his face as he answered. Too many to ever put right, but you must believe me, Elora. The lies were told to keep you safe. Safe from who? I don't know anybody. No, you don't. But that doesn't stop them from knowing who you are. There's a group of people who have been searching you out since you were born wanting to use you and bend you to their evil will. And the others who aren't evil, well, they want you dead, so you can't be used. Either way, you can never be found. That's why I get so annoyed when you sing in public. It's like a homing beacon for those that search for you. And that's why you chose to leave this morning, because I sang in Gloucester yesterday. Ridiculous! It's all in your head, Nat. You're going senile. She made to go below to her bedroom, but Nat grasped her arm as she pushed by him. I said I had some hard things to tell you, and things you must understand. It was never going to be easy, but please, Elora, hear me out. She pulled her arm free, but stayed where she was, with her back to him so she didn't have to look him in the face. Your mother loved you very much. She was the one who asked me to bring you here, to leave Aslania and hide you away and never go back. Aslania? Where we lived. Where you were born. High up in the God's Peak Mountains. 
And we lived in Croatia. Another lie. We passed through Croatia when we fled the Slania. We used the war in the Balkans as a cover, pretending we were refugees. And my mother? You told me she died when the village was shelled. She turned back to face him. She's... still alive. Meeting his eyes, Elora could see he was telling the truth, or at least what he believed was the truth. Whether it was true or fantasy, who could say? She felt a tear running down the side of her face and brushed it away with the back of her hand. She's alive, he repeated. But you can never see her. She loves you with all her heart. But if she saw you again, she would kill you. Nat, you're not making sense. Why would she kill me? I can't explain it now, not yet. But I will, I promise. Just know that she loves you very much. And she never regretted having you, and still doesn't, even though she knows who your father was. Elora was about to ask again who her father was, but Nat held up a hand to stop her. These secrets I've been telling you, they were hard enough for me to keep and hard to tell, but there's something else I need you to know before we go on. Something more incredible and harder for you to learn, but something you need to understand before I can explain anything more. And what's harder to learn than the fact that my dead mother isn't dead and I'll never see her, or that there's people out to kill me? You've lost the plot, Nat. You really have. Well, come on, then. What's the next bombshell you're going to drop on me? She sat on the ledge and folded her arms as she waited for Nat's reply. You were not born on Earth. What? Now she knew he had lost his mind. I'm an alien? Not exactly. You were born on Thea, which is a twin of Earth taking up the exact same place and time, but on different planes. That's where Islania is, and where we escape from. Elora laughed. And how did we do that? Catch a unicorn, and ride over a magic rainbow with the help of fairy dust? No. We used the power from a charged star that had passed through both worlds, and... Enough, Nat! Cut the crap, I mean it! I can't take any more! I'm going to lie down. She left him on deck and stepped below, slamming the door behind her before throwing herself on the narrow sofa in the cabin. It took her a while to calm down. She felt guilty for worrying that Nat was going to ruin the trip, when plainly she should have been worrying about his mental state. She needed to get him to a hospital. Taking a deep breath to calm her temper, she went to the tiny galley kitchen to make a cup of tea for them both. No doubt, Nat was feeling flustered by the argument they'd had. He never reacted well to her anger, but maybe she was the one who was driving him to his madness. She knew she wasn't the easiest— he had even admitted it himself, showing signs of evil. It wasn't the first time he had mentioned Islania, and hadn't he always told her that there was more to the world than she thought? Faded memories tumbled through her mind, the two of them on a cart bumping down a dusty mountain trail, feeling cold and afraid and crying for her mother, her uncle's tender arm holding her close to him. She remembered nights cuddled up, sheltered under a heavy cloak from the rain, hands held out to an open fire and eating dry bread and cured meats. Another memory came back to her, a boat trip on a lake, surrounded by hills and cliffs, but she couldn't remember any details. The flashback was too hazy, her uncle pushing her into the icy water, screaming as she tried to swim, but her clothes dragged her down. Then Nat jumping in after her, holding her for a moment, telling her to hold her breath, to be brave, then ducking beneath the water, and pulling her down with him into the deep, where her screams allowed the water to fill her lungs. Next, she was coughing up water and sobbing into Nat's shoulder as he held her to him, singing softly to calm her, 
as tears ran down his worried face. Why did all this come back to her now? Was it sparked by the conversation she had just had with Nat? Was she going crazy too? No, the memories were real. She finished making the tea and waited for a moment until she felt calm enough to go back on deck. Perhaps it was best to stay silent and let Nat ravel on about his falling stars and other worlds. It might sound mad to her, but it was obviously real enough to him. If she stayed calm, she could wait a few days to see if things improved. If they didn't, she would have to think again. Nat remained silent for the rest of the day, keeping his eyes fixed on the waterway ahead and his thoughts to himself. Elora hoped their argument that morning was an isolated incident. She decided not to mention it now, yet her uncle had other plans. As the evening came on, they reached a quiet stretch of canal. Nat slowed the barge to a stop and killed the engine, letting the molly drift slowly in the middle of the dark water, something he had never done before. "'What are you doing?' she asked, scanning the canal ahead for any oncoming vessels. The molly would be an awkward obstacle to negotiate, especially since the engine wasn't running. They could drift into the path of another boat and collide. Her uncle smiled as he leaned back against the railing, folding his arms. You're just like your mother when she was a girl, stubborn as a mule. I've been searching my brain for ways to say what needs saying, for a way to make you believe. I can't explain the words, so I'm going to show you. Elora's heart felt heavy. Was this going to be another of his crazy episodes? Don't be an idiot, Nat. You're going to crash into something. She shook her head and made to turn the ignition back on, but at that moment her uncle began suddenly to sing, causing her to pause, her hand hovering above the keys. His voice was beautiful, deep, rich tones reverberating on the water and echoing back against the boat. Elora wanted to join in, to harmonize with the rich melody, but she couldn't. The words were sung in the same foreign language that Nat refused to teach her. She closed her eyes instead, letting the words and tones wash over, gently stroking her nerves like a warm breeze. Memories came to her again, flashbacks to when she was a girl, when Nat had last sung that particular song. They had just bought the molly and were taking her for their first trip. She smiled, remembering how excited she had been, pestering her uncle to steer the big barge and him finally relenting how she'd found herself heading straight towards an expensive-looking yacht and panicking when she realized it was too late to alter course. It was then that her uncle had sung this song, and somehow the molly had banked on its side, drifting past at a strange angle, a maneuver that, even as a small girl, she found to be impossible. As did the yacht's owners, whose horror-stricken faces froze as they watched them glide by, inches from their luxurious boat. At that innocent age, she guessed that somehow her uncle had used his singing voice to force the water to push them out of harm's way. She smiled. It was a memory she had long ago forgotten. The barge suddenly jolted, knocking Elora off balance. She grabbed the handrail. Something had hit the molly with enough force to propel them forwards. Gazing behind them, she expected to see a large boat, but saw nothing which could have caused the impact. She checked ahead, but the canal was empty. Confused, she turned to her uncle and realized that he was singing, and that they were moving through the water as if the engine were powering them along, although the engine wasn't running. Apart from the slapping noise as the hull cut through the water, the boat was silent. She leaned over the side rail, feeling the wind in her face, as she strained to see if there was anything hooked underneath, perhaps an unseen tow rope of some kind. There was nothing. Turning once more to look behind them, she saw that a huge wave was pushing them on, and the molly was riding on its crest like a huge surfboard. What the she exclaimed, unable to take her eyes off the immense wave. Her first thought was that it was the Severn Bore, the huge tidal surge of water that raced down the River Severn from the Bristol Channel. 
Yet that only happened in the spring and the end of autumn, and only on the river. They were on the canal, where there was no tide or current, yet a wave was propelling them, and seeming to be gaining speed. Elora stared at her uncle. What's happening? How's this even possible? She gripped tighter to the rail as the back of the barge lifted, and they tilted forwards on a great wall of water. As their speed increased, Elora's black hair fell loose and floated free in the breeze. Impossibly, the freak wave grew so immense its outer edges spread from bank to bank, spilling water on the grass verge. Her grip on the handrail tightened as she fought to stay on her feet. The molly was going so fast, she was afraid the ancient vessel might begin to fall apart. She turned to Nat for answers, but the old man seemed oblivious, standing there relaxed and singing. Could he really be doing this? As she struggled to think of a rational explanation, Nat's voice quieted to a whisper, then stopped altogether. As the song faded, the surging wave fell away, leaving the molly to be carried along by the weight of her own momentum. The barge gradually slowed, and her uncle broke the silence. Water is the second easiest of the elements to manipulate after air. I told you the order when you were small. It seems you have forgotten, he said, a playful smile curling the corners of his lips. But those were merely magic tricks you did. They were never real, she replied, gathering her wild hair together in her hand and tying it back in a ponytail. She wanted to say more, but her mind was still running over the extraordinary event that she had just witnessed. And hadn't she, only the day before, tried to manipulate the wind to set free the maple leaf in Gloucester? She had, yet it was nothing more than fantasy, a small daydream to distract herself while Ben was busking. She knew the order of the elements, and the easier rhythms to touch them, but never believed it to be real, only tales an uncle told to amuse a child. Not tricks, Elora, a gift, explained Nat as he turned the ignition on and restarted the big diesel engine. The same gift that you possess. Elora sat back against the rail. All those things you said earlier were true? Nat nodded. We'll moor up here for the night. Elora folded her arms and opened her mouth to protest, to demand that he explain himself right away, yet she knew he would only speak when he was ready, and wouldn't be moved on the subject. She shut her mouth and stared into the water, her mind mulling over what had happened and what Nat had told her. The first stars began to appear in the night sky, and she watched the reflection on the water, wondering if there were indeed worlds beyond the world she could see and touch, and which she thought she knew. It was a peaceful night. The secluded stretch of canal was far from any roads, and only an unused pathway ran along the bank which was overgrown with grass and reeds. Elora brought her uncle a cup of tea as he sat on his favorite sofa, reading his old diary by the amber glow of the antique oil lamp. The book was one Elora was forbidden to read even though it was written in the old language she didn't understand. Noticing her, he put the book aside and took the tea gratefully, then patted the sofa beside him. Elora sat down, drawing her legs underneath her as she wrapped cold fingers around her own mug of tea. As she gazed at the burning embers in the small wood burner, Elora wondered if Nat was going to tell her more. Questions had been plaguing her since the freak wave earlier. The revelation that she was being hunted by people who wanted to use her for evil ends, or by others who simply wanted her dead, 
was hard enough to believe. Even harder to accept was that her mother was still alive, and that she would never get to see her. She couldn't get her head around it. What kind of mother would abandon her own daughter, and promise to kill her if she ever returned? And her father? What kind of man was he, that people even feared his daughter, people who'd never even met him before? She couldn't wait any longer. She wanted to know, needed to know. Somehow Nat must have sensed her unease, and chose that moment to speak. I've been writing in this, he said, tapping his diary, ever since we left Islania. It covers everything from the trek through the mountain pass to the lake, from the crossing between the worlds to the journey through Europe, right up until this evening. Not every day, but every important event. I thought that it would help me to explain things to you when it came time. I was going to read you a page each day, let it sink in slowly, make it less of a shock than hearing it all at one go. But... I mucked things up by singing yesterday. Elora finished the sentence for him. Nat nodded. It's not your fault. I should have told you when you were younger, explained things so you could understand. But I didn't. You're not to blame. You can explain things now. Nat nodded and placed his journal on her lap. She put her mug down and opened the old book. She smiled as she flicked through the old pages and marveled at her uncle's beautiful handwriting. I can't read it, remember? She said. You can now. I'm giving it to you. He said with a loving smile. No, I can't. I don't understand it she said, tracing with her index finger the flowing swirls and symbols that were like no language she had ever seen. Nat chuckled and leaned closer, shifting so he could point down to the book. I'll teach you. It's not that hard to understand. Oh, really? Looks pretty hard to me. She flicked through the pages until she came to the back where she saw a small S-like symbol within a circle. A phone number was beneath it. What's this? she asked, seeing Nat frown. The Shudojak. He's the person who helped us find refuge here. A friend, then? She was puzzled. Nat had few acquaintances and no close friends that he ever mentioned. Nat's frown deepened. No, not a friend. Not somebody you'd ever want to meet, either. And Laura was intrigued. Why not? If he helped us, then surely he's somebody we can trust. You were only a small child, then. He didn't know who you were, if he had. Nat slowly shook his head. He would have killed me? Nat nodded. So why keep his phone number? She asked, tapping the book. Nat took a sip of tea before answering. In case you turned out to be... different than you did. It was clear to Elora that he didn't want to talk any more about this mysterious Shadowjack character, yet her curiosity was stronger than ever. Maybe later... Are you some kind of wizard or something? She asked lightheartedly, changing the subject in case he stopped talking again. No, not a wizard, he snorted. I'm simply a good elemental manipulator. All Minuans can do it on some kind of level. Minuans? Elora raised a questioning eyebrow. Nat had always called her his little Minu. It was a special pet name for her. She had never thought about what it meant. You're a Minuan, as I am, and your mother, and our people of Aslania. We are descendants of the goddess Minu, who lived on Thea some few thousand years ago. Can they all do what you did with water? Probably not. It's rare to be able to work the elements to that level, 
Most go through life without even trying to do it. Those that want must be trained properly, and it takes a lifetime of study to master. Why wouldn't they want to? I mean, it's amazing. It's magic. Not magic. Only a greater understanding of the elements, yet most people choose to follow the path of the Eversong. Eversong? What you were singing yesterday was a small part of what makes up the Eversong. Now that is what you might call magic. It has great powers, and Minuans are drawn towards the calling. It's more of a religion, going back to the time of the small gods. Nat blinked and smiled. But I'm racing ahead. We need to take this one step at a time. But if you didn't want me singing this ever song, then why teach it to me in the first place? I didn't. The song is in your blood, and when it's sung by a Minuan, it releases a power that can be felt by those sensitive to its tones and words. That's why I got so angry with you when you sang it. It alerted people that there was a Minuan. Singing it twice would bring them closer. And these people want me dead? Nat nodded. Or worse. What could be worse than death? Nat tightened his lips, something he did when he was debating what to say without upsetting her. We'll talk more in the morning. I'll teach you how to read this. He tapped the diary, changing the subject. And you can read and understand it in your own time. Elora was about to protest. She wanted answers now, and couldn't see why he didn't translate directly from the book. But he held up a hand as if he expected that she was about to ask. There's no rush, Elora. We've got plenty of time. It's going to take us a couple of days to even reach Bath. She realized he was right, yet it didn't stop her wanting to know everything now. Frustration welled up inside her, yet there was no point arguing with him. If his mind was made up, it was made up. Lifting herself from the sofa, she took her uncle's empty cup and her own and gave him a kiss on the cheek. Night, then. Elora went through the galley, leaving the cups in the sink before heading for her bedroom. She was tired, but sleep would be difficult with so much going on in her mind. The molly dipped, settled, and then dipped again. Somebody had stepped aboard. Elora raised herself onto her elbows, blinking the sleep from her eyes. Her room was in darkness. No morning light spilled through her curtains. Sleep must have found her at some point, but she couldn't tell what time it was. Who the hell would be coming onto the molly in the middle of the night? The barge was still rocking as she got to her feet and paced out of the room, glad she hadn't bothered to get undressed. Nat was asleep on the sofa, a blanket pulled up to his neck. When he was asleep, he went deep. The room was dark and in shadow, her uncle having blown the lamp out before turning in, but she could still make out the silhouette of a figure through the frosted glass of the outer door. She cleared the space to the door in three strides and unbolted it before wrenching it open, ready to give the intruder the benefit of her sharp tongue. She stopped when she recognized the figure. Reuben, what are you doing here? She barked, agitated. How would he know where to find her? He grinned, dark eyes twinkling. Sorry, sweetheart. Afraid Mr. Silk didn't take too kindly to your rejection. He insists on meeting you. Get stuffed! She yelled, slamming the door in his face, but he caught it in his hand and pushed through, forcing her to stumble down the steps. He followed her falling body and flicked on the light switch. Her uncle sat up, flinging the blanket aside as he took in the man entering the molly and the shape of Elora sprawled on the floor. What the hell? He made to rise, but was forced back down by another man who'd squeezed through the doorway from the kitchen. That's right, remembered Elora. The barge dipped twice. He must have entered through the bow door. 
The hulking mass who pushed her uncle down looked almost cartoon comical, his size forcing him to duck his head within the narrow confines of the barge. Square and brutal, with a flat nose squashed tight to his face as if made from putty, he wore an expression as grim as an undertaker. Covering his thick forehead was a dark green tattoo of a fist, clenched as if about to strike. "'The boat's secure?' asked Reuben, directing the question at the giant thug, who simply nodded. Elora noticed the small pig-like eyes light up, the hint of violence sparkling behind them. Nat began to rise once again, but the brute forced him back down, his thick hand closing on Nat's shoulder to keep him in place. "'Get off him, you ugly git!' Elora screamed, her anger raging above the fear as she launched herself at the thug. When her temper was up, her body reacted before the brain, and usually she ended up regretting it, but she was in motion now, committed. Grabbing around his neck with one hand, whilst punching him with the other, she put all her strength into hurting him. It was like wrestling a solid oak wardrobe. The giant didn't flinch. She changed tactics and raked her fingernails across his face, having to pull herself up to reach. She was rewarded with a backhanded slap, which sent her crashing into the wall, driving the breath from her lungs. Her knees struck the floor, and she crumpled into a painful heap. Shaking the dizziness from her head, she glanced up and saw angry red welts gauged across the attacker's face. She might have felt some satisfaction at that, but for the cold stare he gave her, full of hatred, warning her that he would repay the pain with interest. She shifted her gaze to Reuben, who smiled back, pleasantly amused. "'This here's Pinky. He's a bit messed up in the head, but it might handy with his fists.' Now you can either sit down and wait, like a good little girl, or I'll let Pinky make you. Pinky's huge hand wiped delicately at the scratches on his face, and Elora saw that he wanted to hurt her. She wasn't scared for herself, but Nat was fragile in comparison with a thug. She clambered to her feet. Tell your dog to take his grubby mitts off my uncle, she spat at Reuben, her fury still present. Reuben nodded towards the bulk who slowly let his hand drop to his side. Then, smiling as if the whole situation was a mild manner greeting of friends, he pulled a gun from beneath his suit and pointed it at Nat. Now, be a good girl and sit down next to him. She did as she was told, feeling a stiffness in her neck and soreness in the knees that promised bruises later. She lowered herself down, Pinky backing away and folding his thick arms. Reuben kept the gun trained on her uncle as he took a mobile phone from his pocket and pressed the speed dial button. He put it to his ear and waited. I've got her. Yes. No. She's not going anywhere. An uncle. His gait shifted to Nat. What's your name? Elora gritted her teeth. There had to be more to this than simply her singing. Don't tell him anything, she said, glaring at Reuben. Reuben grinned, lowered his gun, and squeezed the trigger. The noise was painful, an explosion in her ears. She involuntarily yelped, but her uncle's scream was louder, the bullet having shot into his shin. He bent forward, hands pressing over the bloody wound, face grimacing with pain. You! began Elora, as she prepared to hurl herself at Reuben, but was pinned down by Pinky's hand at her throat, completely encircling her neck, the fingers and thumb touching. Reuben remained calm, still training his gun on Nat. Elora wanted to rip the infuriating smile off his face. Your name? He turned to Nat, pleasantly. Nathaniel Delamere, Nat stammered through gritted teeth. Reuben relayed the information over the phone and waited for a response. Okay, no, we won't. You've got the coordinates. There's a big field adjacent to the canal. One of my men will meet you on the bank. Okay, see you in forty minutes. Slipping the phone back into his pocket, he sat back against the door. 
He gave Pinky a curt nod, and Alora felt the meaty hand released from her neck. You didn't need to shoot him, she blurted out as she slipped to the floor to inspect her uncle's leg. The bullet had entered the outer edge of Nat's left shin, grazing his tibia and ripping a deep gash into his flesh. Mercifully, it had missed the main artery. The copper smell of blood blended with the cordite that filled the room. Nat must be in excruciating pain, yet he didn't make a sound. Reuben chuckled. You're right, I didn't need to do it. Same as I don't need him to live. He's of no interest to Silk, so... He flicked his silver coins to the air. Heads he lives, tails he dies. No! Elora yelled. For the first time since the thugs came aboard, she felt blind panic. Reuben caught the coin and held it palm out for her to see. It was heads. Best of three? asked Reuben as he tossed the coin again, a smirk forming on his face. He caught the coin but held it in his fist. It's not up to fate if you keep flicking your coin until you get the results you want, Elora argued, eyeing his gun hand and wondering if she could reach it before he had time to react. She guessed she wouldn't. True, so maybe I'll keep playing until you behave. Now sit down, he demanded, shoving the coin back into his pocket. Elora thought fast. Reuben was going to kill Nat anyway, so why delay unless he wanted to placate her? She decided to do as he said, but would need to come up with a plan in the next forty minutes. Sitting next to her uncle, she leaned down and placed a hand over his wound. This needs a bandage and antiseptic, probably stitches too, she said tersely, searching for the bullet and seeing it had disappeared into the sofa. I need a tall scotch, ice and a nice Cuban, but it isn't in the cards. Elora was silent as she sat beside her uncle. He squeezed her leg reassuringly, yet she guessed he knew as well as she did that his chances were not good. "'Who's Silk?' asked Nat, frowning towards their captor. Reuben remained silent as he took the coin from his pocket once again and gave it a flick. He caught it and glanced at the results. "'Just a man, a very rich man who wants this little girl.' He waved the gun in the direction of Elora. "'Don't know why. Don't really care. If he's paying, he can have who he wants.' "'So, you're mercenaries?' Nat asked. "'I prefer contractors. It sounds more professional.' "'But why her? She's done nothing wrong.' "'Mine's not to reason why, but it's got something to do with what she was singing, or how she sung it. I've spent the last six months hanging around this city, waiting and searching for a girl who could sing the way she did. To be honest, I thought I was wasting my time. Silk didn't give me a description, only said to hang about until I heard something special.' that I'd know it when I heard it. I thought he was a bit crackers. He's a bit strange anyway, but the money was good and the job was easy. But after hearing her yesterday, he gave a satisfied whistle. <whistles> well, that was something special. Hearing his words, Elora burned with shame. This was her fault. If she hadn't sung that stupid song, none of this would be happening. She was just about to plead to Reuben to let her uncle go. It wasn't his fault, but Nat spoke before she had the chance. Please, you can't let him take her. There's a lot more at stake here than you think. I've been doing contracts for quite a while now. Always get my mark, never fail. It wouldn't look good if I didn't deliver the goods now, would it? Then changing the subject, he turned to his oversized companion. Is it me, or is it getting darker in here? The lights are powered from the battery, offered Elora. If the engine's not running, the battery won't charge. There's an oil lamp over there. She nodded towards the bookshelf. An idea was forming in her mind. She only hoped Nap would pick up on it. After all, fire was an element. 
Reuben indicated for Pinky to light it, and Alora watched his gorilla-like hands fumble with the glass cylinder, making the lamp seem delicate. Twice he came close to dropping it, but eventually the room began to fill with a warm glow. Pinky smiled to himself as if he'd achieved some exceptionally hard task. Elora tapped her uncle's knee and subtly inclined her head towards the lamp. Nat's eyes narrowed to slits. He had got the message. You going to rustle me up a cup of tea while we wait? Reuben asked, flicking his coin repeatedly. Elora wanted to shove that coin down his throat. No, she stays with me, said Nat forcefully, laying a hand on her lap to steal her as she began to rise. She thought she could have been more help from the kitchen, maybe come at them with a frying pan or knife, but her uncle had placed his hand on her knee. He wanted her where she was. I'll make you a cup of tea, all right. How many spits do you want with that, too? Reuben chuckled. No, it's fine. I can wait until you're gone and make a cup of tea myself before I torch your boat. Elora wanted to say something clever, but couldn't at that moment think of anything. Next to her, her uncle had already begun to hum a tune under his breath. What's he doing? asked Reuben, amused. Elora didn't reply. She was getting a strange sensation from her leg, beneath where Nat's hand was placed. She turned to him, but his eyes were closed tight, his brow creased in concentration. The feeling in her leg was similar to what she had felt in her stomach when she sang the song that had got her into this mess in the first place. A crackling sensation, like static that pulsed through her body in time with a heartbeat. She realized Nat was drawing energy from her, like a torch pulling volts from a battery. He may have been weakened from his injury, and needed her for the magic, but as the room suddenly brightened, she realized he had something else planned. She needed to distract Reuben. That's an interesting tattoo your dog has got on his face. A fist? What does it mean? That he's a knucklehead or something? Reuben grinned, but it was Pinky who replied. Sometimes I can't make up my mind if I want to punch somebody or put a nut on them. His voice was deep and throaty, with a hint of a Scottish accent. But with this... He pointed to the tattoo on his forehead. We get to do both. Suddenly, a bright flash exploded from the lamp, and Pinky fell to his knees, cracking the polished floorboard and sending a jilt through the molly that ran from stem to stern. His big hands were rubbing at flames that suddenly sprouted from his scalp, even though there was nothing for them to burn upon. He screamed as he patted frantically at the top of his head. Put it out! Put it out! Elora watched as a huge thug stumbled back into the coffee table, catching behind his knee and falling over, kicking his legs into the air as he went down. Reuben's mouth was agape. The gun was still trained on her uncle, his finger looking even twitchier as it hovered over the trigger. Now, Elora, run! Nat shouted as he let go of a leg and fell forward against Reuben. Grasping his gun arm with both hands, he pushed it away. For the length of a heartbeat, Elora remained rooted to the spot, dazed by the connection she had just been released from and the thought of leaving her uncle behind. Go! Nat shouted as he struggled with Reuben, the pair of them locked together, faces grimaced at each other. Elora scrambled to her feet, and with one last glance at her uncle, bolted from the kitchen door and pelted down the narrow corridor to the stern of the molly. If she could get away, she could get to her phone and ring the police. Behind her, Reuben was screaming at Pinky, so she guessed the flames must have died when Nat lunged at Reuben. Yet by now, she was at the stern door, and once she was on the canal bank, there was no way Pinky could catch her. She flung open the door and ran straight into the arms of a third man who grabbed her about the waist and shoved her back inside the molly. Having problems? He asked, a tone of sarcasm thick in his voice as Pinky gripped her by the shoulder. Shove it, Kitch, Pinky replied, fighting for breath. This little brat is as vicious as a pit bull. There was a clatter from the living room, a glass smashing, Reuben cursing, and then a gunshot. 
had silenced everything. No! Elora screamed. She thrashed against her captors, but couldn't break their hold. Guess the old man won't be causing us any more trouble. Pinky chuckled. With another scream of fury, laced with frustration, Elora stomped her heel hard down on top of Pinky's foot. He yelped with pain but held fast, shoving her against the wall with a brute force that jarred every bone in her body. Reuben appeared, blood trickling from a gash on his forehead. Lock her in the bedroom. Make sure she can't climb out of the window. He turned to Elora. The amused tone was absent from his voice now, replaced by anger and hatred. Carry on, you little brat, and you'll get what your uncle got. Silk may be paying me well, but I may not be able to help myself. Elora met his eyes and spat in his face. I'm going to kill you, she said. Well, what'd you guys think? This is just a sample. There's so much more. This is a, this is a whole trilogy, and it gets way, way into the, the awesomeness of the story. So go ahead and check it out. All the links for all that stuff are down in, in the episode description below. Go ahead and check it out. Make sure to get in touch with Adrian on Twitter and follow him, see what he's up to. Huge thanks to him for allowing me to share this with you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. If you know of any indie authors that would be interested in having their work narrated on the podcast, I would love to talk to them. So put me in touch, or if maybe you're an indie author and you'd like to have your work on here, I'd love to talk with you as well. So get in touch with me, and I'd love to chat. Stay tuned. We're coming at you with another episode of Treasure Island. And then, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting so close to the end on that. I really hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Remember to share the podcast. I'm sure you can think of somebody that you know who would enjoy a free audiobook. So go ahead and just share with them because free things, great things are meant to be shared. So that makes so much of a difference in just uh, helping the podcast grow. And that's what it's all about is just sharing these free audiobooks with anybody who wants them. So thanks so much for doing that, guys. We'll talk to you next time.